Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Climate Linker Podcast Spotlight. Today, I have one of the expert panelists joining us, Professor Adam Hart. Adam Hart is an, is an award-winning scientist who was given the title of Science Communicator of the Year in 2010 by the Royal Society of Biology. Adam is a professor of science communication at the University of Gloucestershire and a fellow of the Royal Entomological Society. An author and frequent broadcaster, Adam has presented documentaries for the BBC, Radio 4 and World Service and is a frequent commentator on science and environmental matters. Professor Adam Hartz is also one of the environmental speakers at the live launch where he will be presenting Little Things That Run the World, Insects on a Warming Planet. Welcome, Adam. It is an honor to have you on our podcast and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Nick. Thank you for inviting me and it's a pleasure to be here. What are some of the communication challenges with climate change that we need to address? Is this being communicated across various sectors, across governments, and across local communities? And are these communication challenges being raised in COP and other global events? Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge topic to be talking about climate change. And then when you stick communication on top of it, of course, you end up with this, with this sort of massive um, confusion of, of different messages and things. I, I think there are a number of fundamental problems with, with communicating the science behind climate change and, and other things that... That, that I think we need to, to to get in front of. And the first the first problem here is that, that climate change isn't affecting us now. It is affecting us, but it's not affecting me at this moment, right? It's We're very immediate creatures. Uh, our sort of entire psyche is really based around fixing problems. We're, we're great at putting out the kitchen fire, but if the foundations of the house are creaking a bit, we kind of are pretty good at overlooking that too. And, and that's one of the big issues with climate change, I think, is the fact that we know it's going on, but there's nothing immediately right now that we can fix. There's always something that's further up the to-do list. And I think that's that's a very important thing that we we have to realise. It, it's a fundamental problem with, with the way that we think about lots of different things. But we can get on top of that. But we have to understand that people will always prioritise what is immediately in front of them. And COVID taught us that. I, I mean, the, the pandemic was an incredible scientific response to an immediate problem. It was a kitchen fire. We we We... I wouldn't say we've put it out totally, but we're certainly on top of it to a certain extent. We are great at doing that. We are less good at those longer term challenges. And I think that's the first challenge. I guess the second problem is that most of the effects of climate change, when you think about it, are things that we're already used to. So if you say to people, look, the climate's changing and we're going to experience floods and there's going to be droughts and, and so on, people, people will sort of scratch their heads and go, but we've always had floods. We've always had droughts. And, and it's it sort of it makes the problem seem less real, I think, or less of emergency, less of an emergency because of the fact that the effects are things that we've always had. Um, and that's another issue. And then the other problem is that people just aren't very good at thinking at global scales. We're, we're local creatures. Basically, our, our entire brains are sort of set up for, for small local interactions with small groups of people within our immediate circle, local sort of interactions on a short time scale. You know, that's what we're excellent at doing. And to combat and understand climate change we need to be thinking about things globally we need to be thinking about complex environmental interactions that are happening all over the world to difficult things to grasp like global weather and crop production and rainfall and human movements and animal the timing of sort of uh, animals and plants and all of this stuff and it's a tremendous complexity and i think that is one of the problems that we've we've struggled with in in terms of science. We don't have very 
short, punchy, clear messaging because of the fact that climate change is a complex phenomenon. And I think one of the issues with scientists is that we, we tend to speak endlessly in sort of caveats and brackets and parentheses because we're always trying to justify what we say. And, and by the time you've sort of taken someone down that journey, you've lost most of the people along the way and something more important has come up or something immediately more important for those people have come up. And, and so you've always got climate change bubbling away in the background. We know it's the biggest problem that we're facing at the moment, but the problem is it's never quite in front of people's faces. And then when it is, it's this big catastrophe and disaster. But we're sort of used to every so often turning on the news and seeing these horrendous things. Um, you know, and it's happened throughout human history. So there's this sense of, well, well, it's just the same thing. Um, you know, we know, of course, that it's not. We know these things are happening more severely. We know they're happening more frequently. But that is a very difficult thing to get people to attend to in terms of their everyday lives and in terms of how they can how they can do things. The other problem, of course, that we have is that it's such a big problem that people tend to feel a certain sense of an understandable and completely justified sense of helplessness in the face of it. And that's something else that we need to we need to be communicating to people. It's not just that the problem is here and it's imminent. It is actually an emergency, but there are things that we can do about it. But if we don't do it soon, we are going to be in really deep, big trouble. And, and when you think about it, most of that messaging is, is basically negative, right? Because it's what it's saying to people is, look, we're doing all this stuff and it's bad and we need to stop doing, le- you know, we need to stop doing it. We need to do a lot less of it. And people look around and think, but I like my life. I like the lifestyle I have. I like the ability to be able to travel freely. I like consuming. You know, we, we have developed a modern lifestyle that is extremely seductive. And to change that for many people feels like they're having to give stuff up because to a large extent, let's be honest, <laughs> they are. Um, and that is a very difficult message to get across to people too. So we've got this complex problem that we're trying to communicate. We have complex issues that emerge from that problem and the solutions to that problem inevitably are going to involve people changing the way that they live in ways that they may find undesirable. So that comes together to create a unique problem in terms of science communication and and clearly I think one that we haven't really fully cracked. You mentioned COVID-19 and the pandemic. Has the COVID-19 pandemic shown any signs of hope of better communication? I think it has and I think it has on a number of different levels. So the the first thing that I noticed when well it wasn't the first thing I noticed obviously with the pandemic but one of the things I noticed quite early on particularly here in the UK we had briefings I'm sure it happens in many places throughout the world and we had government scientists and so on standing up on the television at sort of four in the afternoon in front of data and in front of graphs and in front of scientific concepts, which they were very, they were explaining in many cases extremely well. And suddenly you had people who wouldn't normally speak of such things, talking about R rates or R, you know, the sort of rate of reproduction of viruses. They were talking about basic principles of epidemiology. They were talking about models. They were talking about all of these scientific processes, which relate actually in many respects to to climate change and to to other things. And and they were doing so in a way that was confident and that was normal. It, It became a normal thing to turn on the television or to scan down a news item and find statistics and find numbers and see graphs. That for me was a really big thing about about the pandemic was that suddenly science was at the forefront of this but the communication of it wasn't simplistic it wasn't um uh it wasn't sort of dumbed down i mean inevitably it is dumbed down to a certain extent because the science is incredibly complex and you know, we don't need to know all the ins and outs but the actual 
the fact that people were standing in front of graphs, you know, and, and numbers, I felt was really a very important feature of what was going on. And that, that gave me some hope that perhaps we can get across these more complex messages, but people need to care. And everybody cared about COVID because everybody bluntly, they wanted to know when they could start living their normal lives again. Um, that's where, of course, the issue with climate change becomes a problem <laughs> because we don't want people to be living their normal lives. We want people to change the way that they live. Um, but it gave me a little bit of hope that we can get those complex messages out there. The other thing, of course, is that we suddenly globally found ourselves in a situation that was incredibly serious, changed the way that we lived and changed the way that we had to live. And people did. You know, people did. And and. We solved, in many respects, the problem by doing that. And that is a very nice lesson, right? We had a problem. It was serious. It was global. And it was going to cause some massive major headaches and issues across the world, including a very large death toll, potentially. But internationally, not necessarily in a very joined up way, but, you know, we got there eventually. There was this massive scientific push to solve the problem. And suddenly we've got vaccines. We've got multiple vaccines. I mean, it's an exciting position to be in not just one, but many, and they're working and people are lining up for them. And yes, there's inequality around the world. And yes, there are massive issues with that. And that's one of the things that also needs to be fixed if we're going to get on top of climate change for sure. But it did give some hope, but it is possible to have these efforts. The problem, of course, is identifying uh, you know, the, the fact that, as I said earlier, the fact that, that COVID-19 is a, is a kitchen fire, right? And we need to put it out straight away. Otherwise, it's all going to go bad what we've really got is sort of dodgy foundations and we need to fix those. That's, that's the issue, but baby steps, um, at least we're vaguely heading in the right direction, I guess. One thing that's happening uh, right now that is being heavily impacted around the world is what's happening with the war in Russia and Ukraine with the spike in gas prices and the immediate need to transition to renewable energy technology. Is this one way of communicating across to everyone that we need to transition now? Well, it certainly feels like an opportunity to do that. I mean, I think I think what the war in Ukraine has really illustrated is just how fragile the balance of these things is across the world and also how interconnected we are. And I guess a little bit like COVID-19, it's the sort of thing that can be leveraged to a certain extent to get people to think in a more nuanced way, in a more joined up and connected way, and to understand that actually their life is, or other people's lives are impact in some way on their life. Two or 300 years ago, there might have been some incursion or war somewhere, and it might warrant a small mention in the, you know, the Times of London or something, but it wouldn't necessarily really have any global impact. Certainly not that would be felt immediately or quickly. What's happened with the Ukraine, of course, with fuel prices, with food spiking, food security, um, we suddenly realise how joined up we are and, and what's in my cupboard downstairs and how much it cost me. And all of the other features of that of that are bound up in some way with something that's happening quite a long way away in a different country. That, I think, is quite a powerful message because, of course, with climate change, we're going to be seeing very similar sorts of effects, and we already are to, to a large degree, um, particularly when it comes to things like climate-induced migration and all sorts of other issues. So, yeah, I think I think there is, again, lessons to be learned. The fact that that's come hot on the heels of COVID, uh, the fact that we have these sort of global crises that show just how joined up and connected people are i think helps it helps the messaging none of this is happening fast enough for most people's liking of course um but it's better that we get there in the end than that we give up hope and i think i think these sorts of situations do do start to under underline just how connected everything is and how 
we're all in the same boat. So I think, yeah, there is there is some some hope. I mean, there's not a lot of hope coming out of Ukraine, and and I guess there's not scant um, scant consolation. Um, but yes, I guess in terms of getting people to think more about how connected the world is and how there are opportunities to change, I think um, in that respect, something can at least be, be positive can be got from the experience. The latest IPCC report shows significant risks around the world, particularly in Europe, where the number of deaths and people at risk of heat stress will double. Global temperatures are at 3 degrees Celsius instead of 1.5 degrees Celsius. How will this increase in global temperatures affect our terrestrial and marine ecosystems? Will it impact our food security? Is this something that we should be worried about? Yeah, so uh, a global rise in temperature has all kinds of, of difficult to predict in some cases, some cases easier to predict effects. And, and you're right to be looking at it from an ecosystem perspective. Um, when, you, when you increase the amount of, of heat in an environment, you increase the amount of energy in an environment like that, um, some things do quite well. Um, some, things, some things do better when, it, when it's warmer. Other things don't because life and organisms are very finely adapted often to the environment that they've evolved in. And when you change that environment, particularly if that change is relatively rapid, um, organisms can respond in various different ways. I mean, one way that they can respond is simply by failing to thrive and, and becoming extinct locally, at least. Um, so that's one of the effects we may see. We may see the removal of certain species from certain areas. Other ways, of course, that organisms can adapt is to move. Um, if it's too hot here, move somewhere where it's cooler. If it's too wet, I mean, that's the other thing. We're talking about temperatures, but it may affect, but it will affect things like rainfall and so on. You can move. Now, the problem with rain shifts in the modern world is that we've created, you know, the human world has created all these barriers to that. So rain shift might be theoretically possible for some organisms and many organisms, but it may not actually physically be possible. There may be no range for them to left, left to move into because of habitat loss. And this is where we start to see everything folding in on itself. We already know, you know one of the major problems facing organisms around the world is habitat loss, destruction and degradation. If we have that in place, and then we have perhaps overexploitation, as we see with, with the marine environment, as we see with some terrestrial environments, including particularly the overexploitation of things like, like trees and so on. If we then add in another layer of climate change, suddenly we're just heaping more and more stresses on those, on those systems. And where they may have been able to respond slowly or sort something out through things like rain shift and so on, those avenues are no longer open. What the problem with that is, is, is at an ecosystem level, you can remove one or two species from a system might make no difference at all. I mean, the only people that may notice it might be, or the only things that may notice it might be the biologists studying it. Um, however, some organisms have a disproportionate role in ecosystems, things like primary producers and so on. And when climate change is affecting how they are operating, then suddenly the whole thing can, um, can become very, very difficult. You can end up with ecosystem collapse might be a little bit dramatic, um, in many cases, but you can have fundamental changes in those ecosystems, which often involve reduction in biodiversity, reduction in abundance and productivity and so on. And that can have potentially catastrophic effects, particularly for organisms sort of higher down the, the sort of trophic, the, the, the predators, the, the, the sort of big consumers. That can have fairly serious effects for them. And, and that's the case in terrestrial and environment and marine ecosystems. The other thing, which is often overlooked, actually, but is potentially um, important, particularly from the perspective of of um, insects and so on is the idea of phenology and phenology is the timing of ecological events and if we're getting climate change and we're getting changes in seasonality and changes in rainfall and so on organisms that respond to that 
uh, may end up, for example, uh, insects might be responding to the availability of plants and they may bloom before the birds that rely on those insects start nesting. So you can end up with mistimings. But what's really interesting is that when we study these effects, what we what we find is that it's much more complex and that some organisms are able to adapt, some aren't. Some will be timed based on what they're what the food that they're doing is is um, doing and when it's when it's developing and some may be fixed in their pattern. The influence of climate change can be unpredictable because ecosystems are complex and sometimes difficult to work out. So it's, it's very hard to sort of put a line under anything and say, this is what's going to happen. But what we do know is that overall, certainly from the systems that, that have been studied, although there are winners and losers and some organisms do, do well, overall, what we're looking at is, is not a particularly um, a rosy picture. And much of that is because we've, we're already stressing the environment and because climate change is happening very rapidly compared to um, what you might see under natural conditions where organisms can move around the planet freely and, and they have a bit more time to, to respond. So those sorts of things certainly point towards a lot of negative effects within ecosystems. You asked about food security. I mean, food security is an interesting one because it, it, it fundamentally involves lots of different things, as we're seeing as a consequence of Ukraine, not just production, but also distribution and the ability to use it and so on. But what we find with, with climate change is that some areas may actually do may do better. Um, it's a bit warmer. There's a bit more rain. Some of those sort of areas might might, might be might be performing well. What we're not going to see, however, is is um, that across the globe. And in fact, we're already starting to see those effects of catastrophic floods, for example, um, droughts, which are particularly bad for crop production, um, forest fires, and so on, which can which can tear through. So there's going to be a disproportionate sort of effect of climate change in different areas of the world. Um, depending on what their underlying climate is. And, and that's of concern because, of course, um, if areas that are supporting large numbers of people currently are suddenly unable to support large numbers of people, then those people are going to be in immediate trouble. They're going to need to fix that problem very quickly. We probably won't respond globally in the way that we should. We're going to end up with, as people have already predicted, um, climate refugees and so on. So there are all kinds of knock-on effects. Should we be concerned? Yes. Um, of course, we should we should be concerned about global food security. What we tend to be concerned about is local food food security because we're not very good at looking ahead, and we're not very good at realizing that what affects someone thousands of miles away now could well be affecting us in the very near future. And I guess things like COVID and, and um, the situation in Ukraine, as we mentioned earlier, do perhaps underline that message. So perhaps might be might give us enough tiny leverage to get people thinking in the right direction. But yeah, it's um, I, I think all of these things are a concern at the moment. And the more the, the more and more data we get on this, and the more information we get about it, it doesn't become any less concerning. And I don't feel like we're suddenly going to sort of go out into the sort of data, if you like, and turn up a stone and go, oh, it's fine, it's all all right. We just found this. This uh, amazing information that tells us that we don't need to be concerned anymore. I suspect the more we look, the more concerning things we'll find. And of course, as we're doing that, the situation will be unfolding around us. So, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting um, next few decades for sure. Thank you, Professor Hart, for joining the podcast and sharing the challenges of communicating climate change. Professor Hart is one of the environmental speakers at the live launch, which is held on the 8th of June. You can register for free on the Climate Link Up website. Thank you, Professor Hart, for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.